That, that video was some of our elders, if, you, if you're new with us and, and you don't recognize some of those faces, so some of our elders sharing a little bit about uh, the vision process that our church engaged with over this last year. Our church is coming up on 20 years old uh, in just a few more years, and, uh, and I've been here for almost 10 of those years. Uh, and, and what Amra said in there about this, this opportunity to, to clarify exactly who God is leading us to be in this next season of life. Uh, we've been asking those questions as a session for the last few years, and, uh, and as the, the pastoral search came and, and Stephen and his family came into the fold, and uh, we had this great opportunity, as Amra spoke about, to really dive deep into that question of who are we, where is God taking us, how do we get there? Uh, and so uh, over the last year, starting in August, uh, hours, weekends, a whole lot of emails, so much time was spent from our elders. And so I want to ask, if you would, when you see them, thank them for the time and the energy. And not just them, but thank their family, uh, who they gave their time away to be able to come and to be with us. And we also have uh, uh, somebody who's here with us who helped lead in the process, our buddy Sean. And so, and he and his family taking time to offer to us that we might discern together. So if you would, just real quick. We're so thankful for that. To you guys. So we spent a year discerning this together, and even then, as we got to the end, we had this you know hard cutoff date. We want to preach on it. We want to roll it out. We want to get the fall going with it. And then even then, we still were like staying and trying to squeeze a few more weeks and a few more times, a little bit more to discern, and then finally saying we're, we're going to trust and we're going to move forward because we want to live this out. It's not just having the, the right language on the screen, being able to tell the right types of stories. Uh, but we want to live this out. And we know we can't get any further to living it out unless, unless we are living it out. Because we are not us without you, which is a slogan I've been trying to get to catch on here for a long time, but hasn't yet. Uh, so Stephen, two weeks ago, kicked off the series talking about that one word, rooted, which we're going to focus on a lot this morning as well. Uh, and then last week, talking about the vision statement, practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. And so if you miss those first two weeks and you want a snapshot of where, uh, of who we think God has made us to be and where he's going to lead us and how we're going to get there, I want to encourage you to go and watch those two uh, sermons from the last two weeks. Practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. As we went through the process and trimmed that statement down, one thing that got, uh, that got left, it's implicit in there, but we want to make it explicit this morning, uh, is something that actually that, that Danya let it slip in there. Practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. We are practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. We're practicing the way of Jesus, y'all, for the renewal of all th we went through all these different iterations of it, but what we want to do this morning is to make explicit that this is something that we are doing together. We are doing it for the sake of one another and for the sake of our neighbors and friends, uh, but then we are also doing it and being built up together. So I want you to carry with you as you hear that statement to bring those Im implicit parenthetical comments, that together, practicing the way of Jesus Together. I want you to feel that and know that and carry it with you, even if you don't see it appearing in the language. 
This morning, we're going to look at that togetherness in, uh, in a picture from Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to see some things and hopefully by way of reminder, uh, learn what it's like to practice together. You'll notice in your worship guide that it doesn't say uh, Ephesians 4, it says 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and I want to point out the reason why I'm saying we're going to learn by reminder. I'm not going to teach you anything new this morning. And there's two reasons why I'm saying that. I'm going to remind you but not teach you, and there's, there's two reasons for that. The first is, as I got really pumped and thought about preaching on this, uh, on this idea, this concept, how do we practice together the way of Jesus, I came up with all of these great passages. I had four or five of them. Uh, and then one by one, Stephen reminded me that we just preached on them over the last year. Because of COVID and everything that was going on and the division in our world, really trying to emphasize and talk about uh, community and what it means to be the body together. And so we had all of those things. So this is just one of the greatest hits. Uh, Stephen Priest, as I told him, a near perfect sermon on May 16th on the same passage. Uh, but I'm not going to preach his sermon. And, and, and I'm just going to remind you of a few things. Uh, and we're going to see uh, the second part about why I say reminder. I think we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. We need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. One of my favorite pastors, a guy by the name of Steve Brown, said it. Not, it's not that often that Christians need to be taught something new. As much as we need to be reminded of the truth, that we may once again live it out more fully, and in the remembering that we may be taught. As we think about the, the doing and the, and the togetherness of practicing the way, it's because we keep forgetting, we got to keep practicing. And because we keep forgetting, I keep forgetting, you keep forgetting, we need somebody else. If we're going to learn to remember. So the, the picture of the practice we're going to have today is really this remembering, to be a remembering community that is practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. Our passage this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, Paul spent the first few chapters reminding the community of who they are, reminding them that they were not a people, they were not chosen, they did not have unity, and yet God has brought them in to be one, to be a body, that they are his workmanship. And the word workmanship there is the word polema in the Greek, where we get polemic and poetry and and this beauty. And so when we think about this craftsmanship and what God is doing in our community, God is telling his story. He's inviting us into the poetry of his goodness and his life. He's given us a song to sing. And in the beginning of this passage, he is urging them to be built up together, to practice together for the sake of one another, to be built up to bear fruit, even for the sake of the world. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we take a look at verses 1 through 16 together. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says he ascended on high. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, our one Father, our one Spirit, our one Lord, we (coughs) come to you and pray uh, that you would build us up, that you would remind us of this one hope, this one solution, life with you by grace through faith, that we might be firmly planted, rooted, that we would grow up and bear much fruit for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. By way of reminder, a couple weeks ago, Stephen, who has seen sequoia trees, and I have not, but I'm going to remind you of what he said, a couple weeks ago, sequoia trees and redwoods that grow out in California, I'm assuming, Uh, There's two unique features about them that are really important. Uh, One, they don't grow their roots very deep, uh, even though they can be as much as 300 feet and and higher. He said 300, but then I saw a video that said that they can be taller than the Statue of Liberty, which is 305, so I think they can grow even beyond 305. Oh, We're going to talk about humility in a second. Did you see that? <laughs> Be completely humble and gentle. So, so they grow hundreds of feet in the air, but the roots only go down five or six feet. I'm talking about redwoods. Five or six feet, but they can go out uh, 100 feet or more. Uh, and so they, they can grow to this high stature, but the roots don't go down deep. And so you can't find these trees on their own. Because as their roots go out, they need to find other roots to be rooted with. Another thing about these trees is that they can only grow in the soil that can produce the nutrition, the nutrients for the life and the flourishing and the growth uh, that they are capable of. And so for us as believers, the, uh, the illustration holds that, that we want to be a people that are rooted. And we can't just be rooted in anything. 
We need to find the soil, the life of God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit to be rooted in his truth so that the life that God can give can be ours and we can bear fruit for others as well. But just like these trees cannot stand on their own, so for us, we cannot grow without being rooted in one another. Two times in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says to the church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Where your roots aren't as mature and my roots grow deep, following the roots of Jesus, follow me, be rooted with me. And similarly, he doesn't say this, but the ways that you imitate Christ, the way you bear his resemblance more than me, I am encouraged to be rooted in you, to imitate you that together we may grow deep in the life of God and bear fruit. Pastor Rich Velotis, <clears throat> again, Stephen should too. But I saw it first and read the book first, so it's my quote. But we're going to be reminded of it again. And if this is all you get from the vision series, if, if you only get this idea of being rooted, that's going to carry you almost all of the way where we're trying to go, what we think we're built for. But the quote reads like this. A deeply formed life is marked by integration, intersection, intertwining, and interweaving, holding together multiple layers of spiritual formation. And these layers are best held together in a community where we are surrounded by different people who powerfully bear witness to an area of formation in which we might not be so strong. Again, if we don't do anything else as a church, but reflect the strengths and the weaknesses that God has given to us to complement one another, to be interwoven, to be rooted in one another and in the life of God. If we do that, we will bear much fruit. We will grow tall. And so it's this picture that we've got to be reminded of over and over again. When he preached a few weeks ago, two questions came to my mind, and I want to ask them to you. Where do you need deeper roots? What's an area of spiritual formation that you might not be so strong? What's a temptation that you're facing in your life, something that you're struggling with, uh, that you don't have clarity and life from God and the freedom and joy that comes with it, and the power to see differences in your life. What's an area where you need to grow deeper roots? And the second question, who are you rooted with? Who are you rooted with? You see, the quote was saying, we have all these different layers of what it means of our spiritual formation, what it means to be a human, right? There's a version of you that exists with your neighbors, There's a version of you that exists with your family, your parents, your siblings, uh, if you're married or with your kids. There's a a version of you that exists with God. Uh, There's a version of you that has to relate to your own energy levels or your interests, to your own physical health. We have all these different features and facets for what it means to be a human. And you're going to be gifted in some. You're going to be strong in some. You're going to have grown up in a family or a culture or a church that has helped shape grace, some of these strengths in you, but in other ways, you're going to be very weak. I just realized this thing about myself over the last few months. I grew up 
uh, homeschooled and part of a big family, and so uh, we didn't have the occasional opportunity to go like uh, have. We weren't like out uh, really social with a bunch of people. Like we we were social, we did stuff. But uh, what I realized is like I never learned to identify with any groups. The only group I know how to identify with is my family. Uh, I, I was never part of. I didn't play sports until later in life, and. And we were fans of all the different teams, so I didn't feel any loyalty towards one. Uh, and so for me, I, I don't know how to fit in and to belong when there's more than one or two of us. And so often I struggle when it comes time to preach because I have to recognize and see that weakness and invite God to meet me in it before I can get up here. Because my brain tries to control and earn love and belonging with you guys by trying to figure out what it is that you want me to say or what it is that's going to make sense to you or how I can have an impact. And all the while, I do great disservice to you, to myself, to my relationship with God by trying to handle that weakness in my own strength. But I have learned over the last few years in my time here at the church to to learn in confidence to be the person God has planted me, to imitate others who are imitating Christ, to find our identity and security in Him alone, to be rooted in that soil, to hear stories from others who have been there, that I can bear the fruit of the message that God has given me to share. Where do you need to grow deeper roots? And who are you rooted with? Do you have relationships where you are surrounded by people who can bear witness to areas where you are not as strong? Who can speak truth in love and show you God's power in places that you're not familiar with? Are you inviting others to be rooted in you Tell, rooted with you, telling your story that in the areas that they are weak, that they are hurting, that they are struggling, that they might find hope to be rooted with you in the life of God. There's just two things I want us to see from our passage today. Two things I want you to see by way of reminder. Uh, because we all have relationships. Uh, you, you talk to somebody who's around you this morning. I'm sure many of you are in community groups. Uh, I'm going to pause right here. We have community groups, a lot of them that are starting again, usually after Labor Day, they'll get going again. We have some new groups that just started. We have a women's uh, study that's starting soon, men's groups that are going on. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is a great small group to get a part of. Uh, if you need relationships, if you need people to be rooted with, don't let today go by before you ask me, and I'll, I'll help you find something. We want you to be rooted with us as we are rooted in the life of God and this vision. So what I want to focus on here, though, is not the reality and the reminder that God uses us in one another's lives, because we know that, and you can see that from the passage. Everybody finding their part, the whole body being built up into maturity. We have one faith and one baptism, and there's this picture of unity and togetherness. 
and that Christianity and human flourishing is not a solo event, a solo sport, but we need one another and the fruit is for one another. But what I want to focus on here is just two aspects of the practice. Practice the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. I just want to focus on two aspects of the practice. We talked about uh, (coughs) trees a good bit, but now I want to talk about songs. Songs, right? Just like Ephesians chapter 2, we are his workmanship, his art, his poetry. We are his song to sing of his goodness and his glory and to find our joy and our peace in that, to to have a song in our hearts and to sing together. And we all have a song to sing. It says that each one is given a gift of grace. Of grace. Riches. That God has given you some strength, some area of your life, of, of human existence, where you are familiar with how God operates. And when His song is played, you can sing in tune. And so there's an encouragement here to come and to sing your song with one another. To tell of the true things that you know. To teach, to share, to give, to serve. And so we all know that call. We just did a volunteer drive to, to use your gift, to find your place, every ligament in place, working together. And you know that part, and yet it's still really hard for us. And that's why I want to submit to you that sometimes the songs that we sing are the sadder, minor notes. In this passage, as Paul is talking about the church moving from immaturity to maturity, he locates himself, as he does throughout the Gospels, with the immature bunch. Then we will no longer be infants. Talking about that immaturity, we're we're not discerning, we're tossed back and forth, we're not rooted, we can't weather the storms of life, we're like a potted plant instead. And when it gets caught outside, somebody's got to come throw a blanket on us or take us inside. Similarly, we're not gentle, we're not humble, we're not, we're not experiencing unity. These are all the characteristics of immaturity. And Paul says, and that's me too. And this, over and over again in the New Testament, as Paul is writing, he continues to say to his audience, it's not me. The truth I'm trying to show you, the grace I'm trying to, to give you, it's not mine. We carry it around in jars of clay so that you know that this all-surpassing power is not of us but from God. We carry around His wounds in our body, His death to carry it around. And and part of that, His death, means that He had to die because I was messed up. And we carry it around so that you can look to Him and be saved. He's given me a thorn in the flesh, and yet Christ's power is made perfect in my weakness. God has given us all a song to sing that's a song by grace. It is true. It's the power of God and the life of God. But sometimes everybody else misses it because they think it's coming from us. Someone said long ago, and I've looked it up 
for like 10 minutes yesterday and couldn't find out who said it. When we confess our virtues, our successes, our loves to one another, we become competitors. But when we confess our failures, our longings, our sin, our weakness, we become friends who can heal. In our church, we want to be built up to bear this fruit, to practice the way of Jesus together for the renewal of church things. No, it's not for church things. For the renewal of our things, for just our church to flourish. No, we're here for the renewal of all things. And just like we want to be in relationships where someone is stronger, more mature, who can build us up and show us the way to plant deeper roots into the life of God, we want to be a community together that bears fruit, that the world can imitate us the way that we are imitating Jesus. We focused over the last uh, couple years on the practice of Sabbath, for example, because we are in a world that is burned out, that is stressed out, that has no delight and joy and rhythm, and the families are suffering, and the community is suffering, and those in need are suffering. And so we want to be a community that bears the fruit of rest. You know, somebody could come into the church and see one person who's got good boundaries and rhythms in their life and having rest. And they come in and see that and they say, oh, well, maybe when I grow up I can be like that. But if they come into a church that is honest and confessing our own temptation to do more, to be more, to fix it ourselves, and then they see rest and joy and peace to slow down and be with Jesus, then maybe they'll be curious that there's healing available for them too. We want to bear the fruit of rest and grace and engagement and contribution, reconciliation. We want to be a community and individual relationships where those fruits are being born. So that the culture and the world and folks who are put upon, enslaved to sin, struggling in weakness, just like I am on the daily, that they can look and find hope. Hope for the judgment and the division, the self-centeredness. Somebody who's self-centered and looking out for themselves, I, I get this a lot when there's like, uh, so maybe that was the Holy Spirit, maybe it's not. When I, when I was growing up, routinely, we would have, and my dad's watching this, so he'll know the story. Uh, my dad worked at Pizza Hut for a time and would bring home pizza, but there was never enough pizza for everybody to have some. So there was pizza, and then there was the backup food. And so when there was something there and you were hungry and it was something good, you had to get it first. And we live in a world of scarcity where there's not enough glory to go around and we are competitors. We're, we're so self-protective of our time and our energy and looking out because it feels like nobody else is to give us a break. And we want to confess that that same temptation is in our heart so that when we tell the world that God has come to give us rest, invite us into Sabbath, it's not one more thing to fail at. But it is the gift of grace to us. As Paul highlights his own weakness and puts himself in that place of immaturity, 
We are invited to practice relationships where we do the same. It's not to say that we don't celebrate and talk about the good things that God has done. We do. But we talk about the reality of how we didn't want to do them. We wanted to go the other way. We wanted to be in control. We wanted to self-protect. We wanted to make everybody else like us. And yet God had something better. He did it for me. He can do it for you. We've got to have relationships where we are remembering. Remembering. Practicing. Remembering. Being with Jesus. In our weakness and in his strength. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. If you are not as far along as you think you should be in life, would you find rest in the fact that God has apportioned the grace for you to get you to this point? And he is faithful to take you where he wants to be. If you're struggling to be gentle and humble and bearing with somebody else around you, would you recognize that God is telling a beautiful story, even in the minor notes of their life, because of the apportioned grace he's given to them? And finally, friends, it is all by grace. Verse 8, it's this weird parenthetical comment in the passage. right? He's talking about the church, and then, to each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, that's why, of course, that he ascended on high and he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What? That doesn't really fit. But here's what this is getting at. It's quoting Psalm 68 in this passage where David went out against the enemies and brought back the Ark of the Covenant. And it's saying that similarly, Jesus went out taking many captives and gave gifts to his people. And so in the old days, I don't know how old, but in the old days you would ride out, the king would ride out, leave the throne to go answer the enemy. The lords or the masters or whoever had people, the heads of the tribes of Israel would send soldiers. They would go out, they would conquer and pillage their enemy. They would bring it back. They would distribute the goods to the people around them, right? But when Jesus rides out, there's no other soldiers and people to go with him. There's only captives. And so when it says that he gave gifts to his people, it's saying that the captives became the heirs. Those he rode out to defeat your own stubbornness, your lack of gentleness, your insecurity, your shame, your pride, your self-centeredness, your judgment, whatever it is. He's riding out to defeat that, to bring you home a captive with everyone around you and to give you riches. The plunder of the fullness of life that he has. It's all by grace. So let's sing songs of grace with one another. I'll close with this. If I can remember it. Um, harmony. The brain has amazing ability when it senses notes to fill in the blank. So if you play notes in a key or parts of a chord, it will hear it, it will resonate with the brain, and the brain will perceive and fill out the chord together. 
This is what harmony is. Similarly, if you play like on a piano, you can play two of the notes of a chord, and if you play them well enough, it'll start to reverberate and resonate with the other notes of the chord. When we share all of our gifts and our virtues and why everybody should love and get along with us, we may not find reverberation. But when we share our weakness and our need and our one hope that is in Him, we may stir the hearts of others to find the hope and the healing that they're looking for. And when Jesus says, when two or more are gathered in my name, he means in my name, remembering their need and my provision for it. There I am. We want to see the kingdom come and all things renewed. And it will happen as we are rooted in him and rooted with one another, singing our songs of our need and the praise of his provision. Amen. As we come to the table, we are invited to reflect. To reflect on our lives and the conditions of our hearts and not to find something worthy to come, but to come into the reality of this meal that we are in need and He has provided. So we reflect over our lives this week to acknowledge the brokenness and the minor's tune, the times when we didn't feel like singing, the times when we were wrecked, the times when we were alone, and to see that and say, God, you are the one hope who can meet all of that and make me rich in your love. And then we come to this table and we eat and we drink so that we will be nourished, we will be fed, we will be satisfied, that we may go out and love the world around us, bearing much fruit being rooted in him. So if that's the profession of faith in your life, then I invite you to come and be rooted together in this meal to celebrate. There are two ways to do that. You can grab one of the cups at the back of the room or you can gather, uh, I think there's an, Stephen's going to come help me in the middle here. Um, But we're going to come in two lines down here in the middle if you'd like to come forward. As we come to the table, would you join me in praying the prayer of thanksgiving together? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed with his disciples, he took bread and after giving thanks, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. In the same way, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he blessed it and gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, just like Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me, that we are reminded and proclaim uh, the mystery of the faith together. So would you join me as we proclaim it together? The mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. All right, Stephen's going to come help me. I'm going to grab my mask and then y'all can come forward.
give us the body and blood of Christ for you. for you.